Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. Start off the new year by doing something that will help bring the Retiring with Enough podcast to more people. A positive review of the Retiring with Enough podcast at your podcast hosting site will help to increase the ranking of the Retiring with Enough podcast, and that will make it more visible to more listeners. Thanks. It's been said that during an interview, Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, was asked if he could sum up his success in a couple of words. He said that his success could be directly attributed to making wise decisions. When the reporter pressed him for more information, he said wise decisions come from experience. The reporter's follow-up question asked him, how does one gain experience? Sam Walton's reply was, experience flows from good judgment. And of course, the reporter's follow-up question was, how does one gain good judgment? Sam Walton's final reply was, good judgment flows from poor judgment. So in today's podcast, we're going to speak about some of those things, some of those financial missteps that cause time, and money problems. Brandon Mull has stated, smart people learn from their mistakes, but the real sharp ones learn from the mistakes of others. So today we'll try and hit the easy button and hopefully you'll learn from some of my mistakes. After 50 years of investing, I've learned a lot of lessons. And of course, many of these lessons have been learned the hard way through experience. So hopefully after listening to this podcast, you'll be able to avoid some of the inconvenience, annoyance, and heartache associated with these financial missteps. The big problem with financial mistakes is that most of them seem innocuous and very small at the time, but even small mistakes can multiply and grow, ultimately costing a lot of time and money. So what are some of these common mistakes and what can be done to correct or avoid them? Well, probably number one on the hit parade is too little planning. Anyone who's listened to my podcast before know that I'm pretty big on planning. And as such, I feel like one of the biggest and most consequential omissions comes from inadequate planning. It's been said that People do more advanced planning for summer vacation than for their retirement lifetime. Both retirement plans and financial plans provide a roadmap designed to take a person from where they are at present to their destination, which would be a successful retirement. I always seem to gravitate back to Alice in Wonderland and the passage where Alice confronts the Cheshire Cat about which road to take. The Cheshire Cat asked her, where are you going? Alice replied, I really don't know. To which the Cheshire Cat responded, if you don't know where you're going, then it really doesn't matter which road you take. And there's also a phrase that I refer to commonly, which says that people don't plan to fail, they just fail to plan. So, I really am big on planning. 
And without an adequate plan, you really don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to get there. And you don't know which direction to go in. In the past, I've done several blogs and podcasts on the process of planning. And these blogs and podcasts can be found on the Retiring with Enough website and on almost every podcast website. These are titled Mapping Your Future, Do You Have a Solid Plan? Overcoming This Planning Pitfall, Tackling Temporal Discounting Number 1, Overcoming This Planning Pitfall, Tackling Temporal Discounting Number 2, Avoiding a Financial Hurricane by Creating and Understanding a Financial Plan. Any and all of these will give you additional information on the planning process. Too little planning is closely followed by starting too late. This is another common mistake. Time is one of your best friends, and by not beginning an investment program as soon as possible, you miss out on the effects of compounding and allowing your investments to grow and compound over time. I have a blog and podcast titled Compounding Magic, Harnessing the Eighth Wonder in Your Finances, which will give you additional information on the effects and the magic of compounding over time. Let me stop for just a second right here and say, I know what you're thinking. It's the same thing I thought when I was early in my career. And that is, I don't have a lot of extra money to invest. I need money for food, clothing, housing, and all the necessary expenses of life. And that really doesn't leave a lot of money to invest and allow to compound over long periods of time. But time and compounding will allow even limited funds over time and the money that these funds generate to both grow and compound. For example, even starting with a zero balance in a tax-deferred account and adding $300 semi-annually, compounded semi-annually, with a 9% interest rate yields a final balance of a little over $1.5 million after 35 years. Let me repeat that. $300 semi-annually works out to a monthly investment of only $50, and that $50 in a tax-deferred account with a 9% interest rate will yield approximately $1.5 million after 35 years. But the key is starting early. If you find a graph that illustrates the effects of compounding, and I do have one on the website in conjunction with this blog, when you look at the graph and you look at the effects of compounding, it's really important to note that there is almost nothing that appears to be happening in the first 25 years. It's only after that period that the combined value of investments and investment growth can really grow and compound. I read an article recently that stated that the vast bulk of the fortune of Warren Buffett, the founder along with Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway, was generated after age 65 because of the effects of compounding on the funds that he had invested many, many years ago. So let's switch gears a little bit now, and we're going to talk about risk. It's a, a pretty common misconception that it's both recommended and permissible to take more risk in your investing career. 
you have more time so you can handle more risk. It should be understood, though, that risk is an integral part of investing and investors are normally rewarded for taking more risks. But excessively risky investments can be harmful both in the short run and in the long run and excessive risk provides a basis for future failure. I can tell you I've had my own experiences with high-risk investments, and most of them left me with little satisfaction and even less money. Because I was early in my investing career, the dollar amounts that were lost were not excessive, and I was early in my investing career, and so I had a long runway to catch up and regain those lost investments. Even though the dollar amounts were small, those early losses were dollars that became unavailable to invest for long-term growth, and those lost dollars missed out on the effects of compounding. In general, the riskier the investment, the lower the probability of long-term success. And the problem there is that these early investment failures create increased stress as time progresses. Investment failures mount over time, and account balances fail to grow, then you feel like you need to take more and more risk to catch up for the earlier losses and missed opportunities. You end up with a never-ending circle of excessively risky investments and investment losses that create the need for even riskier investments and losses that are ultimately created. Instead of reaching investment goals, these goals move further and further away and are never reached because the risky investments create only additional losses. The flip side of risky investments are investments that are too conservative. Taking too little risk is almost as bad as taking too much risk. Early in my investing career, I had a friend and we would compare notes at the end of each year. This friend invested very, very conservatively. He invested only in CDs because he felt investing in the stock market was much too risky. We compared investment results for years, and initially, he did better in some years while I did better in other years. But after a few years, it became very obvious to both of us that his strategy was lagging and leaving him further and further behind. In almost every case, a 100% investment in CDs is not going to even keep pace with inflation. Even retirees who are considered the most conservative investors should have some percentage of their assets invested in stocks. It's generally agreed that stocks provide the best long-term protection against inflation. A normal stock percentage recommended for retirees who wish to invest in the stock market is generally between 40 and 60 percent. Not every retiree is going to feel comfortable investing in the stock market during retirement. There are well-known ways to provide an income stream in retirement. Regardless of the strategy applied, some form of inflation protection is going to be needed. It's going to be up to you as the retiree to decide whether this means a percentage of your assets are invested in the stock market or you're going to take some percentage of your assets and purchase an annuity with some type of inflation protection rider which will provide some percentage of increase to your annual payments each year. Not investing 
or investing too little is another financial misstep that can obviously have a severe impact on long-term success. One of the big decisions that every investor must make is how much money present you is willing to give up to build retirement funds for future you. I was listening to a podcast recently where the host described this process as a seesaw, where on one side of the seesaw is present you and on the other side of the seesaw is future you. In this example, money that you keep and invest makes your side of the seesaw heavier as your assets grow. This makes your side of the seesaw go down, which makes future you's side of the seesaw go up. I think it's a pretty good example of how things that you can do in the present will help and benefit you in the future. But the bottom line is it really is pretty hard for present you to look ahead 40 years and really even visualize what you are going to be and what you're going to look like in 40 years. What percentage of your paycheck do you want to decide to save? This is directly correlated to how long you'll need to work to replace current income. If you'd like additional information on that subject, I have both a blog and a podcast called Building a Retirement Pie One Slice at a Time. There's a significant difference in how long a person needs to work to replace income when saving 5% of income versus a savings rate of 20% of income. I'll be the first to admit that saving an extra 15% of your income is not an easy thing to do. But if you're able to swing it, that extra 15% of income is going to decrease the time needed to replace your current income from 66 years to 37 years. If you're not saving anything at all, then you're never going to be able to quit working. And a 5% savings rate means that you have to work for 66 years. If you start working at age 18, this means you work until age 84 to replace your current income. So obviously a 5% target savings rate is not really where you want to be. At a 20% savings rate, you can replace your current income in 37 years If we use the same example of someone starting at age 18, that means that instead of having to work to age 84, you get to retire at age 55, which sounds a lot better to me. Another significant financial misstep is having too few investments. Diversification decreases risk. It's just that simple. Having 100% of your assets invested in company stock is definitely not recommended. Even if you feel you know and understand your company, workers are not always privy to information that could adversely affect a company's stock, stock value, and even more importantly, your ability to retire. Conventional investing wisdom dictates that no more than 10% of your portfolio be invested in any single stock issue. Recent research indicates that the vast majority of 401k assets are invested in a single target date retirement fund. Is this a bad strategy? Target date funds are also known 
as a fund of funds. This means that generally mutual fund companies take different funds, bundle them together in a certain manner with a certain asset allocation, and that becomes a target date fund. The fund is managed so that the fund becomes more conservative over time. As the worker ages, the fund, by its nature, becomes less risky, more conservative, and has less invested in the stock market. So even if a 401k plan's assets or are invested in a single target date fund, that fund usually is comprised of thousands of different types of stocks, and it'll provide all or some of the needed diversification that we were just talking about. So we now know that there are some problems with having too few investments. What about having too many investments? Diversification decreases risk, right? Well, then the more the merrier. Doesn't that make sense? Diversification also means that a portfolio will become more complex and harder to manage. There's a constant struggle between how many stocks and mutual funds that will be needed to provide adequate diversification without significantly increasing portfolio complexity. Some investors become collectors. I've seen portfolios comprised of between 50 and 60 mutual funds in stocks. Unfortunately, when an investor reaches this number of investments in a portfolio, complexity and duplication become a major issue. Even in a portfolio of 15 different mutual funds, there's going to be a pretty big tendency to have significant overlap between stocks in the different funds that are in that same portfolio. By that, I mean the different mutual funds in the portfolio may all contain a significant percentage of the same types of stocks. Another major misstep could be just not knowing enough. Even a portfolio that is adequately funded and diversified may not be sufficient for someone without proper financial education and understanding. Knowledge is power. No one's ever going to care more about you than you. So, it's pretty much incumbent on you to gain enough knowledge to understand what your investment needs, goals, and financial pathway is going to be. If you're not willing to invest the time to gain your basic financial knowledge, then you really are better served by engaging a financial advisor to manage your retirement funds. Engaging a financial advisor doesn't remove the need for basic financial knowledge. It only lessens that need. Too much advice and FOMO, fear of missing out, can also cause some pretty significant problems. I can almost guarantee that at some point, everyone listening to this podcast has heard someone speaking about a company or a company stock that has outperformed the market significantly. FOMO. FOMO, or fear of missing out, is a misstep that can have severe implications with money that is invested without adequate research in a particular stock or mutual fund. If you buy shares in a company after you've thoroughly researched it, it's an investment. If you buy shares in a company because someone at a cocktail party told you it was a good idea, 
than your gambling. And how do I know? Because I've lost money in almost 100% of the stock recommendations that I invested in based on information received in a social setting. Too much advice or advice from financially questionable sources leads to impulse purchases of stocks that are unnecessary and probably too risky. One of the hardest skills that I've had to learn is the ability to ignore that little voice inside of me that tells me that I'm missing out when not purchasing that certain stock or mutual fund. The things that I've spoken about in this podcast are an abbreviated list of the missteps that can cost both time and money. The reason that I picked these missteps to speak about is that these are the missteps that have caused me the most pain over the years. Becoming aware of and avoiding these missteps can save everyone significant time and money. As the opening quote stated, smart people learn from their mistakes, but the real sharp ones learn from the mistakes of others. So hopefully this will help you to become one of the real sharp ones. And here are a couple of final thoughts. Better than making mistakes is learning from the mistakes of others. A lifetime of investing has taught me that avoiding small missteps can generate large dividends over time. Comprehensive planning and thoughtful execution over a lifetime create the framework for a successful retirement. On my next podcast, I'll be interviewing a special guest, Roger Whitney, who is the host and creator of the Retirement Answer Man podcast. He and I recently had a discussion that I hope you'll find interesting, so please join in to listen to Roger and I as we discuss numerous financial issues. And as always, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources, and Retiring with Enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with Enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor, or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer to buy or sell securities.